who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today, from divorce to call-out culture to masculinity to girls' confidence. Season two of Thread the Needle finds the meeting place between feminist ideals and the realities of women's lives. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, this is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you wanna make your own and some of you reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of The Geek Buddies. We are back together again this week to talk about a bunch of things. Uh, We're going to hit on the Picard trailer. We're going to talk about... Um, some stuff going on with Star Wars Land. One of our uh, one of our geek buddies, who currently uh, here on the show, went, uh, and we're gonna also do a nice little mm, twist and go on to a separate road to talk about DragCon. I think yeah, I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, girl. So, <laughs> we're, we're excited. <laughs> and then we're gonna jump into our main topic, which is talk about how this book smart and bright burn campaign to get people into the theater 
may be something that more and more directors and producers and studios are going to have to start doing in order to counter the larger uh, 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 movies that are coming out in the summer. But before we get into all of that, uh, let's introduce ourselves. My name is John Roca. I'm an actor, writer, and producer, voiceover artist over at Collider Video, um, and host of the Top Ten Show and The Cinephiles. Uh, I am Michael Vogel, a writer and producer of animated television and feature film, and uh, I'm really happy to be here. Love <laughs> love uh, hanging with my boys and talking the geeky stuff. <laughs> and this is Shannon McClung. I am an animation writer and an actor as well, and you might have seen me on The People vs. O.J. Simpsons. Uh, the <laughs> O.J. Simpsons. Simpsons? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was I knew ma- there was more than one. The, it was the mashup. The O.J. Simpsons. <laughs> the Mindy Project I will not scandal. murder my ex-wife. I will not murder my ex-wife. I go... <laughs> <laughs> Trying to give new credits and I messed it up the first time I did it. That's perfect. I love it. I love it. Good I job. It's perfect. Good job. <laughs> Unless it's written down, the boy can't read it. All right, let's 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 um, give a little special shout out to if you were if you've been enjoying the music of the last two weeks that has opened and ended our show, we have to give a special uh, shout out and love to Canada's own. I think that's right. Yeah, Canada's own Daniel Ingram. Daniel Ingram. Uh, yeah. Daniel Ingram is a friend, a, a, a geek buddy of the Geek Buddies. Uh, he's worked with me several years on My Little Pony, Littlest Pet Shop. He is a music writer extraordinaire. And right. uh, when we wanted some, uh, some epically cinematic music for the Geek Buddies, he was happy to comply. So thank you, Daniel. Thank yeah. you, Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. And yeah, epically, epically cinematic and also like fun. And I love that. It had that heroic fun vibe to it. So, And all three of us listened to all the tracks he sent us. We really liked. We picked out two that we really liked, and then Daniel went and worked on them even more. So these are original. Would you say original pieces that I, we're getting? I would because okay. they are. Yes, I love that. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. Uh, anyway, let's start out um, with the P- Picard trailer. I wanted to start there. We're into our what we normally do for the first time. You're listening to us. We do a geek news item. Each of us brings up a news item and we discuss it, and then we get into the main topic. And uh, I want to start off with a Picard trailer. Coming to us from CBS All Access. I've been enjoying Star Trek Discovery. Really enjoyed the second season so much more than the first season. I enjoyed both seasons immensely. There you go. And, and I don't watch it. Oh, you don't? Nah. Really? No, Are you not a Star Trek I'm guy? Not a, I'm not a big Trek guy. Wow. But I do like Patrick Stewart a lot. Okay, fair enough. And wine. And wine. Which well, is important for this trailer. Yeah, very important. The old Picard Pinot. So let's let's talk about this because if you haven't, I hope you all have seen the trailer. It's like an hour and 15, a minute, sorry, a minute 15. It's a really long trailer. It's a long trailer. <laughs> Wait till you see the episode. But it's a minute 15 seconds teaser trailer. And it's essentially Picard as a winemaker and hearing all this voiceover about what he should become or what, 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 why he, he why left. He, yeah, why he left and why he should come back and all this kind of stuff. And I just was surprised at how uneventful the teaser trailer was. What do you all think? I was surprised at how much people loved the trailer, given that it was so uneventful. Right. Do you think that that love, though, had anything to do with the trailer itself or the return of a beloved character? I thought it had to do with people's love of wine. Okay. (laughs) So Michael has a problem. I also also was really enjoying... um, all the potential for great wine puns. <laughs> Rosé stints is futile. Oh yeah, here we go. This was the text with text thread between. Make three it of Merlot. Us. No, hey, no, no, no. It was, it was make it so Vignon Blanc. Oh, oh that's, better. that's better. That's Woof. better. Woof. Uh, no, I do. I mean, look. I think that yes. I think that the excitement was that 
Jean-Luc Picard is a beloved character and just seeing him yeah. knowing that there's a whole show that's going to be about him post next generation, whatever happened to him. And I do think like giving that hint of something happened that caused him to leave Starfleet. You right. Know I mean, I think right. that is an interesting thing. Um, and almost like the fact that it was so non sci-fi, there wasn't yeah. not a single starship, no reference to the Borg, no nothing. It's literally him, Picard's winery. Yeah. And so it kind of actually, the fact that they went so against type for what you would expect a Star Trek trailer to be, yeah. I think actually fed into people's excitement as, as ridiculous as that is like a bunch of, a bunch of nerds being like winery. Right. <laughs> Does that harken back to the show? Is that a, a trait of his character? Yes. That he's, he's a, wine, a what, wine lover? Yes, he is a wine lover. I don't know about the fact of, that he ever won. I, and some more nerdier Star Trek Next Generation fans than me could probably cite an episode where he said, I want to eventually retire and have a winery. I don't know. But the implication is when people go, like Coppola, when people go do wines, they just disappear, man. They build the winery, they disappear, they retire from society, they occasionally show up to do the tastings or whatever, and then they just kind of chill out and make their money and really get devoted to, because it takes a lot of effort to run a winery. You want to know what the ballsy move would be? Oh, yeah? The entire series, each week, Oh my God! somebody from Star Trek shows up to his winery and they do a wine tasting. Yeah. And that's all. That's a whole. That's season one. Every episode. And the last se- the, the season finale. Yeah. The Borg show. Yeah, up. of course. <laughs> and everyone goes, "Oh shit, it's the Borg!" Oh. But they just have some Merlot and talk about old times. <laughs> What's it, is it? Resin is a wine, isn't it? R e s i n. Am I wrong? On resin. This? I think that's a building material. Is that a building that material? A, resin. I think residue wine has resin in it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Resin is futile. Tannins? Is tannins. Tannins. Tannins is a wine thing. Tannins. Can you imagine what it would be like wine tasting in the, in the Star Trek universe? Uh, if you've ever gone wine tasting, you know, sometimes you can book those tours. To where yeah, yeah. You know, you can have a driver. Yeah. If the driver, if you're hovering along, I mean, what, what a pleasant day. Yeah. It'd be interesting, though. But uh, anyway, the whole point of it for me was that I'd, I was very, I was happy to see Picard, see a, a teaser trailer for it. I wasn't the biggest Next Generation fan, I, though I do enjoy Picard as a captain. I wasn't always the biggest Next, next Generation fan. So this is going to be interesting. Is this, a, is this old folks' home? What they used to make fun of, the original tr- uh, uh, trilogy, or I'm sorry, the original series, they used to make fun of it going, oh, Next Generation is more modern. It's more up to date. Why do you like those old 60s shows? Now, all of a sudden, will Next Generation be what the original series was to a new generation of Star Trek fans? I wonder. What would have made that trailer pop for you? Because he's, he's clearly an older gentleman. He's more than right. likely, I'm assuming, not jumping back He's just one action. shot at the end. I wanted something else. I wanted some kind of conflict. I wanted some... What are the other characters... What's the situation? Like, what happened? The winter. The What's winter, the, yeah, the, the winter, winter where he's discontent. Yeah. As you said, growing wine is very difficult. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just wanted something more. Because the Star Trek Discovery trailer was fantastic. Uh, and got you, like, excited that they were going into this. And it was a more modern approach, more modern look. And I wonder what they're going to do with it. But I just, I don't know. I felt like I wanted something a little more than... The old man is coming back. Get I don't know. Ready. I'm kind of I'm kind of okay with a tease yeah. on this. I'm yeah. kind of okay. I mean, I think that like like we've all been saying, like they've they've sold us with Patrick Stewart, right? Just all having him come back. Say, is I mean, all I have to say, Patrick Stewart's going to be in a thing, and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll watch it. I'm yeah. good. Yeah. He's amazing. So I think that like it was a smart move as a teaser. Now, granted, eventually I do want to see a, a fuller sure, trailer sure, sure, and sure. actually know who else is in it. What are the bigger stakes? Yeah. What's going on? But for a teaser to be kind of be like, hey, he's coming back and he's making wine. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, but the wine is such an interesting thing, isn't it? Do you think there's symbolism to it? Like growing fine, you know, growing aging with aging like wine. 
getting better with age, that kind of thing. Do you think that was like a little on the nose symbolism of that, or or do you think I mean, it was just I, I could see that as a possibility? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And as one who inconsistently watched The Next Generation, I did see all of his movies, all the Star Trek movies with that crew. I did see all those movies. Me too. I'm certainly interested in watching the series just because Patrick Stewart has never turned in a bad performance as far as I'm I'm concerned. In, In the show? Yeah. Okay. Or no? Do you have a, do, a, a do you have a bad Patrick Stewart if, movie? If you watch not movie, but if you watch old Shakespeare stuff with him from like PBS and stuff, he had to grow into that Stewart style. You can even in Excalibur at times. I saw what I saw. The boy drew the sword. You, you get a little a like, line must be drawn. Yeah, right. Exactly. Which works better. Of course, Patrick Stewart has looked 75 since he was 30. So, you know, he's got that Max von Sydow thing. So it, it, you see this whole thing. I think he grew into it as he got older. But the style is jarring when you see him when he's in his 20s and 30s. It's a little weird. Well, in that, in that PBS special, did anyone else stand out to you? It was like, boy, they are really good. And he's oh, stink, sure. stinking up the stage. He, he, yes, it was a Hamlet. And, uh, you know, Derek Jacobi was incredible. But, Gil, but I thought, uh, I thought uh, Patrick Stewart was a bit much in some of the moments. Especially when he played Macbeth, I thought it was a bit much. Yeah. So I was like, oh. But these are old, of course, 60s, 70s right. Shakespeare interpretations. So it's different, right? Everyone's highfalutin and shit. But I mean, all the man's that incredible. Highfalutin actor. Shakespeare stuff that the Brits <laughs> do so well. With the filth and the flarn and the dilly dally and the thee and the thou. Anyway, we'll see what happens. I, I, I hear what you guys are saying is, is a good way to, to do it. I just wanted just a little bit more action. That may be, you know, that may be just me, my own issue. So you wanted and, to see him stomping on some grapes? Yeah. Maybe. Make it so. <laughs> I'm making. What are you doing there, Patrick? I'm making it so. I'm making it grow. Because <laughs> <laughs> remember, yeah, because we did get, and I know we should wrap up here to move on to the next subject, but we did get that end of the series where it's like 10 years jump in time and right. morph and uh, uh, Marina Sirtis are together Troy. now. Troy, Diana, Deanna Troy and Worf are together and not. Riker with her, and there was all kinds of drama with that. Is that going to tie in with Patrick? Because, I mean, he's, what, in his late 70s, right? He's old. Somewhere around there. And did, yeah. the, did the finale of the series, did that post-date Insurrection? Because that was the last movie that they were in. Right? I think it did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, So, And I don't want to see the Borg. Do you want to see any of the old people from the old times? Like, do you want to see new? I want to see... Look, I, I wouldn't be mad. I mean, this is... If he's the age that he's at, ostensibly all the other people that we know from Next Generation are existing somewhere. Yeah, true. And I think I wouldn't mind seeing them. I don't need to see them week to week. Like I don't right. need. You don't want. I don't freaks. need Worf. I don't yeah. need Worf stomping grapes and Rake and and Riker <laughs> stepping over the backs of chairs in the winery. Like and I don't need all that. Yeah, right. But uh, you know, but like like what like where's Data? Like you know, what I mean, like there's there's right. characters that I think would be great to know what happened to them, and I would do that. Sparingly, like okay. I would, I would do that. I, it's fun to have these other characters show up from time to time, make right. it an event. But I definitely do want a new show with new characters, a new situation, a new world. Q has to show up, right? I, I mean, mean, Q I has so. to. I would think. I now, in my head, I realize as we're talking about this, yeah. in my head, I've decided that this entire show does take place in the winery, <laughs> and that there's no starships or anything. Like, obviously, that's not what's going to happen. But as we're talking about this, I'm like, yeah, you know, Q shows up, and they uh, they have some Earl Grey tea, hot. <laughs> Talk about the old day. Like, like that's obviously not what it is. But now I want. Now I it's want that perfect. show. John Luke, you did not end up here. Do you think that was Thanos's plan as well to go and start a winery? Basically, clearly, yeah. <laughs> if he had figured out how to cook the potato thing, he was trying to cook at the beginning. 
Anyway, from Star Trek into Star Wars, a natural progression. Shannon, please take us away. What I mean, happened with you? Or don't take us away because you didn't. You went without oh, yeah, us. That's true. You went without I, us. I, I, I did. And then with I the did. person you didn't tell us, you were you were supposed to go with another person. Yes. And then randomly you went with this other friend. I ended yours. up going with a separate friend. Yes, yeah. I was very, very fortunate to uh, be friends with a few people that work for uh, Disneyland out yeah. here. And I got the call about two weeks ago. A friend of mine texted me very, you know, teasing me with it. Like, hey, you're, you're a Star Wars fan, right? right? And I said, I am. He goes, huh, dot, dot, dot. Separate text. Gotta love that. <laughs> I'm assuming you'd like to get a sneak peek of the land. I'm like, I would. Huh, dot, dot, dot. Jesus. Eventually, yes. I ended up getting to go to the employee preview for um, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So do this for me. Tell Here's me. what I want. <laughs> I want this to be like, for myself, because I'm going to close my eyes. And for sure, sure. I want this to almost be like a radio play. Walk us through. Oh. You're walking through the park. You're over by, what, Thunder Mountain somewhere? No, like- well, first we had to go in, and because it was Memorial Day, I, we, we went on Memorial Day, and I right. was petrified at that. I'm like, it is going to be jam-packed. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't because employees are blacked out on Memorial Day unless you were going to the Galaxy's Edge preview uh-huh. and annual pass holders, unless you were like the top tier, were blacked out on Memorial Day. Wow. So we walked Spoiler in and like, alert. this isn't bad. I'm the top tier. You are. My annual pass, I can go whenever I want, just so we all are clear. Oh my. I just okay. wanted everybody okay. to know that. Everyone was asking, too. S- status check. Yes, yeah, Sam. Um, <laughs> all right. So you walk in. It's not crowded. We yes. might need to, might need it's, to walk it's, in. It's, it's decently crowded. It's, not, it's, it's manageable. Okay. We go and picked up our passes at Star Wars Launch Bay, and then we had to walk all the way across the park, and... We did not go in the main entrance. That was something that they were like, no, we're going to have you kind of go in this back entrance. Was it a group of you guys? Like in a line? Well, once we got in, there was a line... There was a line right before the land. Gotcha. But we were kind of... We had escaped guests to you at that point. The main entrance is over by Splash Mountain. But the entrance you went to, there's like between Fantasyland on the way, there's like a little... There's a little... You kind of go through an alcove and there's almost like a walkway. You go under a cave or something. I think it was... By Critter Country? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Is it Critter Country? Critter County? Something Critter like that? Critter Country. Yeah. That is where we went in. Okay. So, okay. you know, they they gave us a special little plastic bag. Oh, and by the way, if you're listening, this is in Los Angeles, not in Florida. Not in Orlando. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. They, they uh, gave us a special little plastic bag, which we had to put our phones in, and they had to watch us seal them, but then they let us keep them. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. How are yeah. they going to know if we just take, take them out of the bag? Oh, so, they know. We walk in, and the entryway, which where we access the land, it seemed really long, but it's like you're getting further and further away from Disneyland. Like you're starting to be immersed in this whole other place. Like you can't see Disneyland at all. And as you walk in, I, a lot of stuff was set up for the press preview. So there's a lot of like temporary monitors, but even that stuff was tricked out. Mm-hmm. As you walk in, you can start to see the the spire, the the, the outpost, the black spire. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> you're walking in, and you can hear like sort of the ambient music and the ambient sound effects start to come in. Is it the standard theme, or is it John Williams actually wrote uh, music specifically for Galaxy's wow. Edge? But yeah, the actual I didn't hear the actual Star Wars. Let theme. that old man rest. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Jesus. But walking in, like it's split into two ways. You go, you go this way if you want to go to the marketplace. You go this way if you want to head off. To Smuggler's Run, which is the Millennium Falcon. Ah. So we took the right, and as we kind of turn a corner, you can see the front of the Millennium Falcon. <sighs> and oh, also at this point, we had passed. There are four one-to-one scale ships. Mm-hmm. There is an A-wing. There is an X-wing, nice. which we passed on the right. And then you come up, and you get to see the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. Now, answer a question: huh. You get choked up? Yeah, of course. I totally did. I, I the, the tears were on deck. 
at that point. But first, we had heard like they have a cantina there, yeah. and we had heard like that was going to be the longest line. So I've we- heard that from a few people now that the, oh, yeah. that right now, especially with the preview that's going on, the cantina is the longest wait. And wow. I don't think they anticipated that because there wasn't really a queue set up. I mean, they just had employees out there being yeah. like, "All right." When we went there, they were like, "Hey, there's, we're not taking any more people for the cantina right now. If you want to go see Millennium Falcon, if you want to go see this, go check out the shops." So we got the shops. It. There are yeah, there are Ooh. several different stores and because we're walking into a new land like you know we've been going to theme parks for years so we kind of know them like the back of our hand there were no maps to galaxy's edge like you were literally walking in blind well and everything is written in interlac like you can't even or a lot of things are written in interlac Mm. like it's hard i was talking to somebody else who told me that it's hard to even sometimes if you didn't know something was somewhere you wouldn't necessarily know because it's so done up to be like you're immersed in star wars much more so than anything else The, the only thing that the only two things I heard that were comparable are Wizarding World of Harry Potter yeah. and Diagon Alley in Orlando and Pandora in Orlando at Animal Kingdom are the only two that even come close and they're not even to the level that this is. Wow. On one of their signs, they had everything written in the alien language and on top of it, there was a red stamp that said Rise of the Resistance in English, which is a ride <laughs> that is not open yet. It's going to open later this year. Right. But going into the Millennium Falcon, like the, it, it wasn't a bad wait at all. You're kind of going through this spaceport. Um, you end up running into uh, an animatronic of Hondo uh, oh, from, nice. from Rebels. From Rebels and Clone Wars. Yeah, and I mean, fantastic animatronic. Like, super, super life. Welcome to the Smuggler's Run! <laughs> That's and, great. And he sort of introduces, like, this is what's happening. Da, 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 like, no spoilers. Right. But as you walk in through this uh, path, like, you get your assignments. There's it, The ride holds six people at a time. So the Millennium Falcon thing is a ride. Yeah. You're yeah. not just sitting in it. And well, taking pictures, it, it you're is, riding. It is, a, it is a simulator. Okay. But as you go in, you're assigned, there are two pilots, two gunners, and two engineers. And wow. you get assigned that before you go in. And like they, you get to kind of mill about within the Millennium Falcon. You can wow. see like the, you know, the little hologram chess set. And you can't take pictures. No. God, not well. I mean, I imagine we'll be once, able to take pictures. Yeah, once, right. once it's once open, you can go right. But right, yeah, right. they were super like, no, don't, okay. don't take any photos of this. Okay. But then when you get called in, to feel like your crew gets called up. Um, yeah, I mean that is where tears started to come down because you're walking into the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. Wow, it is the coolest thing. For uh, those of you folks that are going, if you can go in groups of six, you want to be with people that you know for this ride. Yeah, because uh, myself and uh, my friend, we were the pilots. We got the pilot uh, assignment, and your gunners are very important. Your engineers are very important. Yeah, and and uh, and what I've heard without you know without I don't want you to give away too much because I want to be excited when I ride it, yeah. but. That the way that you that all six people in the on the ride operate everything actually does affect you know a lot of times you're used to theme park oh, things wow. where if you do something it works or it doesn't work it doesn't right. really matter the ride's the ride but this is different yes you are not a spectator in this ride you are physically piloting wow. the Millennium Falcon if like we ran into a couple of we ran into a couple of other ships um, at one point the engineers had to do something and watching them like, oh, the right, the right engineer, they haven't done their thing and I turn back and it's this older woman and she's just kind of taking yeah. like, oh, you gotta fire, you gotta fire the thing. But oh, will you look at you that? Scre- did you scream at that poor lady? Uh, not directly. I think I was screaming behind and when nothing had happened, that's when I turned around I was like, oh, okay, this is, yeah. this is, this is pointless. <laughs> she's not doing the thing. <laughs> so basically this woman is somewhere right now, she's like, I, I went to that Star Wars land. It was really nice. This young man started crying as soon as he walked into the cockpit and screamed <laughs> at me. Like, he was really into it. I don't think he understood this was just a ride. <laughs> <laughs> but the great. experience is 
for that ride is is amazing. It's so yeah. so cool. I think Mike's right. You don't want to spoil it too much. What was your like favorite thing about it? About the ride? Yeah, about the, the ride. And then the land, of course. Well, I mean, again, being the pilot, I think that's probably okay. the best position. Okay. Um, just off of my one my one go at it. But piloting the Millennium Falcon, the left pilot, I think, controls um, left to right, and the right pilot controls up and down. Right. And the right pilot gets to hit the hyperdrive. Oh, So nice. when that happens, it's just the coolest freaking Damn. thing. It's, yeah. When are you going? Uh, June 22nd. Really? Mm-hmm. Right now, uh, a, it's a reservation system yeah. uh, from now until June 23rd, I believe. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. had to make reservations to get in. You have like different colored wristbands. And the part that's great is when you reach your – it's a four-hour limit. So you basically yeah. go in in, ch- in four-hour increments. And uh, when your four hours are up, if you're still milling around in there, they've got the stormtroopers in there. And the stormtroopers see your wristband. And they're the ones that kind of point out. Oh my God. And then some cast members kind of are supposed to escort you out. So that's going to be – As we were in line for the cantina – um, yeah. All of the typically atmosphere entertainment at Disney is set up like let, we're going to have this character stand here. We're going to have a line, and they're going to take pictures, and mm-hmm. they're going to sign autographs. There, it doesn't seem like that's what they're doing. Like no, they're it, coming up and having conversations. Yeah, it's supposed you. to be immersive. completely immersive. Yeah, they, and they speak in their language or whatever it is, and nobody breaks character. It's and they don't have like name tags and shit. Like it's supposed to be fully immersive. We had a stormtrooper walk past us, and someone in the line called out. Yeah, called out something like, "Hey, where are you going?" And he turned around, and you hear in the stormtrooper voice, "Watch that curiosity, citizen." <laughs> <laughs> the the things that they have the stormtroopers saying are amazing. <sighs> Our friend, um, yeah. The stormtrooper came up to him and he he tried to do the Jedi. Yeah. I am not the I'm not the citizen you're looking for. Mm-hmm. The other stormtrooper leaned in and said, "If there was a Jedi left, it wouldn't be you." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, oh yeah, when does this take place? Like, where's the set? What's the time? It's 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 during the it's or it's post the new movies. Okay, like this is a so this is after Rise of the Skywalker even. Uh, or post Jedi, Return of the uh, Rise of whatever it is, post the, last, the last Jedi. Jedi. It, I think a lot of it is going to depend on what happens in the Rise of the Resistance ride, right? Because okay. the the ride it's called Rise of the Resistance. Right, it's right? called Rise of the Resistance, okay. but it's taking place within the time period of the new trilogy that's out right now, seven, eight, and nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did see, we saw Ray walking around a little Ooh, bit. What? We saw Chewbacca walking around. Nice. Um, it. Yeah, it was just the coolest thing. And do that, you see any of the uh, any of the? Do you see Kylo or any of those? We did. We may have seen Kylo. Oh, we might have seen Kylo. We nice. might have seen a uh, resistance spy. We might have seen Ooh. some first order officers. Nice. Like, you, you, you got to go and find out. And can you like. interact with them? Oh yeah. Oh, dude. If you if we did in fact see them, yes, you could th- theoretically. Wow. Theoretically. No, well, you know, because we did that for Potter, the four hour windows, mm. but they were random. When they were announced, these are sold ahead of time. Yeah, I know that I'm going from 11 to 3 yeah. on June 22nd. I'm going June 9th uh, through Corey. She got us nice. a bunch of, uh, total surprise, total surprise. It's I think it's at 9 a.m. or 8 a.m. or something. So it's going to be madness. I mean, the, th- the great thing about an earlier time is you might be the first one. Right. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be there in the heat of the summer with all that kind of crap. So we'll see. Well, that's great. Any last things you want to say about it? Uh, the cantina oh, yeah. is a blast. Yeah. It's so... Everything about it, like for those of you folks who live in LA, you might have gone to the Scum and Villainy Canteen, right? And that ex- that ex- that night gets made by the by the other people that show up. Yeah, yeah they yeah. encourage people showing up in costume. This everything about the wow. Cantina was just it was just lit 
perfectly. Can you get food and drink? You can get a snack mix. It's mainly okay, okay. drinks. Okay. Like if you don't... And do, Star Wars drinks. Yes. They do have non-alcoholic Ooh. drinks. Ooh. But to go in, I'm like, I don't know why you would come in here if you're not going right. to ha- have alcohol. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had this thing called the Bespin Fizz. We, we had the Outer Rim. I mean, all of, they were... Everything about it was just so much fun and just such a blast. And all of the shops, like they have a droid factory where you can assemble your own droid. These are all for, yeah, you know, you, yeah. you have to pay a premium. You can build your own lightsaber. I mean, everything. I'm, I'm wearing this shirt that I got at the droid factory. Nice. Oh, yeah. Very, very charming. That's a good question. <laughs> for our listeners, it's a very charming shirt. It is. Very simple. Simple. Do, 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 did you find that there were shirts there you had never seen before? Uh, from what I have heard. Because you're a massive t-shirt fanatic. Yeah, none of that merchandise will you be able to get anywhere wow. else. That's great. Um, okay. When we were walking in, like, you know, on uh, Downtown Disney, they have, like, the big Disney store. Mm-hmm. And allegedly, all the merchandise from Star Wars, or if there is Star Wars merchandise in there, it's not going to be the merchandise you'll find in Galaxy. That's Age. great. Well, there you go. It's a little yeah. perk for getting in there. If uh, if you want to brave the crowds to get in there, it I hope it will be worth it because it is... Awesome. Damn. It was so much fun. Damn, I'm jealous. <laughs> well, to another uh, section of the universe, uh, Michael, please uh, take us away. From far away princesses to very close up queens. <laughs> You had that planned? Uh, no, I didn't. I just I literally just pulled that one out. I was like, oh, what am I going to say? <laughs> That's got to be um, a t-shirt, for God's sakes. First Geek Buddies t-shirt. Yeah, so <laughs> I, uh, I am, uh, in addition to being a geek about all the geeky things that we've discussed over the past several weeks, I am also a geek for RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes. Which is currently in its 11th season. Um, by the time everyone listens to this, uh, it will be Thursday evening that the uh, season 11 finale is airing. And I went for the first time this past weekend to RuPaul's DragCon mm-hmm. here in Los Angeles. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to talk about it because it was amazing. Um, you know, obviously with you guys, you know, all of us and a lot of our friends, we've gone to Comic-Con year after year after year right. in San Diego. And obviously Comic-Con is one of the biggest conventions. Um, so DragCon wasn't quite on that level, but it was the most amazing thing to see uh the variety of people attending DragCon. I think mm-hmm. the thing that I get most excited about about RuPaul's Drag Race uh, in general is that it's kind of really brought that part of LGBTQ culture, the ballroom scenes, the drag scenes, everything else, into the mainstream. Yeah. So going to this convention, you saw, you know, obviously lots of um, lots of people that were gay, lesbian, trans, uh, you know, gender non-binary. Um, lots of people in drag, lots of people in costumes, but also lots of families with their kids, mm-hmm. uh, parents who are bringing their bo- little boys, little girls, wow. gay, straight, whatever, some of them in drag, some of them not, who were all showing up to go and get their pictures taken with their favorite drag queens because all, wow. the, all the popular queens from all the different seasons are there. They all have their booths set up with like, and not like just sitting there behind a table signing autographs. I mean, these booths were done up. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, what a surprise. Yeah. And and just seeing these families and their kids, like it was just such an amazing thing mm-hmm. as um, as a part of the LGBTQ community to see this part of gay culture that had usually that for years has been sort of over here to the side, like yeah. you know, in bars, in gay bars, performing, hosting nights and stuff. To see that so in the mainstream and like literally being treated like Disney princesses. Yeah. I mean, you know, like seeing these little girls and little boys being like I want to go get my picture taken with Evie Oddly and Dina West and Miss Vanjie and just that these were household names like it was actually a really like I, I had a blast I tried on heels for the first time Hey-o. 
tried uh, tried walking in heels. I thought I did a very good job. Apparently, according to everyone else, I look like a T Rex. But you know what? I'm still gonna call it a win. Um, well, but, you're strong. Uh, you're strong. But yeah, like, but mostly, I actually got kind of like emotional. Not Millennium oh, really? Falcon emotional necessarily, but uh, but like emotional at like just seeing how what RuPaul has done with this show yeah. has brought drag into the mainstream and brought gay culture into the mainstream in a really loving, open, and accepting way. In a new way, right? In a new way. Yeah, and I think that's exciting too because you could say, and we don't want to get too political here on this, but like you could say at times it feels like the world has never been more restrictive or the country's never been more restrictive, but here we are opening the doors more proudly to the LGBTQ community in a lot of areas. And the fact that you're saying people brought their kids to this kind of yeah. thing, you it would be unheard of 10 years ago. Oh, absolutely. And that's fantastic. Yeah, and you know, the first time I think we all went to Comic-Con, I mean, aside from the spectacle that gets right, put right, up right. In, in San Diego, there is this, it's this haven for, the, for folks that maybe haven't felt like they've belonged. Yeah. Like you get to see just the joy in these people's faces. So I can imagine that seeing folks who go to their first drag con like seeing someplace like oh these people these people not only are like me they're accepting of me right this, this is we're all here to celebrate the same thing well and i mean i was even talking to a couple guys and you just really realize you know for us we live here in los angeles i live in west hollywood i go out to the bars and hang out in west hollywood all the time right. but there was there was guys there like young guys who were like from ohio from missouri that flew out just for this event and it was it was pretty amazing i mean you just really spread their wings a little bit spread the, yeah just spread their wings and like you know putting on you know putting on makeup yeah putting on the heels putting on some outfits that they probably couldn't wear back home it was and, and then to see like a very normal quote-unquote normal typical yeah. american family mom dad their daughter and son standing right next to some young boy from ohio in makeup and a wig and it was the complete it was completely the most normal thing in the world and yeah. everybody was smiling and everybody was happy and it was just really really awesome well i mean listen people might be like well why are we talking about this it's a con and people it's a convention and people cosplay as their heroes and Absolutely. people and people go to dress up as their heroes in a way that they can't do in their own hometowns yeah. because they get made fun of still or they get or they get ridiculed or people go why well, you're too old to be dressing up as this or that or they want to feel empowered you know you see a lot of women wear the wonder woman or the uh, uh, harley quinn stuff nowadays at the con or power girl whatever but and then Ray and all this. So same thing here, right? There's an empowerment. I, I, I'm not trying to. I hope I'm not speaking to pass the line. But there's probably no. You're 100 right. right? There's great. an empowerment to be able to dress up this way and, and and showcase this and have fun and connect with other people who feel the same well, way. And that's what RuPaul really talks about with, mm-hmm. uh, with when she talks about drag. That I mean, that really is empowerment. It really yeah. is just sort of like drag has always been about kind of going outside the norms, being who you want to be, yeah. dressing how you want to dress. I mean, Evie Oddly, who's one of the queens who's uh, up for winner tomorrow night, uh, or tonight, depending on when you listen to it, um, who's up for the finale, uh, you know, she her whole, her whole thing is that she dresses super weird, as opposed yeah. to like Brooklyn Heights, who's very typically beautiful, uh, Akira Chanel Davenport, Silky Nutmeg Ganache, like these are the four queens who are up for the, for the, for the champion tomorrow night. Um, it's going to be really, really funny. Um, West Hollywood on Drag Race finale basically is the equivalent of straight bars at the Super Bowl. <laughs> so, um, who do you have your money on, and who would you like to see win? Good question. I think my, mm, it, I, I really think it's down to Evie got real Oddly. Serious in here. <laughs> got really oh, serious. Yeah. I took this really seriously. Stakes are high. <laughs> I would prefer Evie Oddly to win. 
I think Evie Oddly is my choice. I think she was the best, most consistent. She she didn't have the most wins over the course of the season, but her looks, her performance in the challenges was consistently the most interesting to me. Brooklyn Heights uh, is another one of the more popular ones um, to win, and she's been really, really good. She just she's beautiful. She's gorgeous. I just think Evie Oddly was more interesting to me. Okay. Um, Akira Chanel Davenport definitely tops. She was great. Silky Nutmeg Ganache has probably been the most uh, divisive over the course of this season. Ooh. She's uh, she's 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 challenged a lot of people. She's annoyed a lot of people. So uh, I know she has her fans. I would think I think out of all of them, if Silky won, I would be uh, I might throw some things at Flaming Saddles. So we will see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> and Flaming Saddles is the name of a bar in you're, West Hollywood. You're not yes. going to physically light a saddle on fire and throw it. I mean, I might. Or at, you might. I, might. I might light a saddle on fire at Flaming Saddles. It, it could happen, um, but yeah, you guys should come sometime. Maybe not tomorrow night. Tomorrow night might be, that might be a big jump for you guys. Yeah, but, maybe. Uh, well, but, I've been. I went. Uh, oh, you did. I went one night. I went over and watched. You an did. Episode. You did come over to the to the apartment with the boys. Yes, and you did ah. watch an episode. I did watch an episode. It was very entertaining. Okay, uh, but yeah, okay. I think I think maybe we might have to take a Geek Buddies trip during uh, All Stars or season twelve to Flaming Saddles one night and uh, and check it out. I'll be honest with you. I have always wanted to do drag. So I'm happily, I would happily dress up and try this out at a drag con and see what that looks like. I got to tell you. Just for fun. Eddie Izzard is straight as hell. Where's the heels? Where's the dress? But that's part of it, though. People are straight who do drag. We're living in a different time right now. Like, it used to be... I mean, do you remember when we were kids, and it was the whole, if you were a boy, you could get your left ear pierced, but not your right ear, and there was all these rules about it? And that's all gone out the window. And again, one of the great things about drag con this past weekend, and just in general, is that we're living in a time now where the way you dress and what you wear actually has nothing to do with your sexual orientation. Right. You want to be a straight cisgender male and you want to wear heels and have a little bit of a smoky eye when you go out for the night, have a smoky eye. Do what you want to do. And I think that's where, to kind of what you guys were mm-hmm. saying, it really does overlap with like that Comic-Con culture as well. Right. Where you have people just dressing in all their outfits, going crazy, putting on makeup to be their favorite heroes. Yeah. It's the same thing. I mean, drag is just another form of superhero. That's another t-shirt. Drag is just another form of superhero. The Geek Buddies. I love it. Boom. <laughs> All right. Well, let's... Uh, are you cool? We can move yeah, on cool. to the main topic. All right. Let's move on to our main... Wow. We're 35 minutes. That's a... Wow. We can talk, ladies and gentlemen. We can talk. So let's move on to our main topic. And shout out to Mike for bringing that up. Uh, if you... I've been interested in DragCon. Go and check it out. Watch the finale. Uh, as you're listening to it this morning, I guess, watch it tonight. And yeah, see watch if, it tonight. And see what you think. Maybe take a, take a taste. Take a taste. You never know. All right. Um, let's the the main topic I wanted to talk about this week, and we kicked around some ideas, and uh, you guys were great to uh, or very gracious to uh, want to talk about it. Is over the weekend I was a little perturbed. I guess is the word I would use, and I had to explore my own feelings about this because so many people were pitching Booksmart and Brightburn on their social media accounts saying, go see the movie, go see the movie. The Russo brothers happened to just tweet out, hey, go see Avengers for the fourth time. And they were getting vilified on social media because people were like, don't go see this movie, Avengers again. Go see Booksmart. Go support new films like Brightburn. Go do something, blah, blah, blah. And what happened was both films ended up slightly underperformed. Certainly Booksmart underperformed more than Brightburn did. Um, And with... And with Aladdin overperforming. With Aladdin overperforming, which, which which was a really conflicting thing for me because this is a film about people of color. 
who were, you know, like, it's a film. It's a film that a lot of people didn't expect to do well, and it did. The shock to all of us who went to see it, the three of us, who, if you want to listen to our review, you can listen to last week's episode. We reviewed it there live after we watched it in the art. Thoroughly Light. enjoyed. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And so. it made its money. It made good money for mm-hmm. what it was. But the counter was films like Booksmart and Brightburn got caught up in the uh, the mill of this. And I was just surprised at how many people were willing to turn this into a battlefield or a battleground for these other films. And I think it turned people off from going to see them. The last thing people want to be done is to be guilted into going to see a movie. And the larger conversation is, are movies like this, do they have a place in summer anymore? And if they do... How low do we have to keep our expectations so they're not underperforming, quote-unquote? I mean, having seen all three of those films, Aladdin, Brightburn, and Booksmart, to me, my personal opinion, Aladdin was the best movie. Of the three? Of the three. Wow. Easily. Okay. Uh, Mike and I saw Brightburn before we we came here tonight, and it was like, oh, that was a saw... That was a solid scene. Yeah, I mean, I had said a few weeks ago that Brightburn was one of the things I was really excited about for summer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I still feel like the novelty of seeing the Superman story told as a horror movie was a fun novelty. Like, Mm -hmm. I had a nice time. I I think that I wish they had done more with it. I wish they had done something differently. And I think had they, they might have gotten a better response. And I haven't seen Booksmart yet, so I can't speak to it. I do want to see Booksmart. Yeah, me too. Like I have, but, but I think that it was not one of those movies that I was like, I have to rush out and see it this weekend. But to your, to your question, I think that, um, you know what? It doesn't bother me that anybody working on a film is going to go on and tweet about their film and be the cheerleader. You want to say, please go see my film. Please support our film. Yep. Even, uh, even to say, hey, you know, we're we're competing with the big dogs. Please go support us. I actually think all of that is fine. I'm cool with Olivia Wilde did that. I was yeah. cool with that. I don't understand. And again, this is what I just don't understand about Twitter in general. Yeah. But I don't understand the opposite of that, which is the Russo brothers, who also have every right to be yeah. like, hey, we made this thing. Go see it a fourth time. And everybody dogpiling on them as if they are. Trying to like yeah. destroy Booksmart. Destroy the small. It's, it's the mom and pop store versus like, you know, uh, Barnes and Noble, right? And that's not what's happening here. Well, and how much of that Russo Brothers tweet do we think was in jest? I mean, how much of it was in response to be like, hey, and go, see, go see our movie for I, the fourth I, time? I, I don't I want you to go see a movie. Look, yeah. I think, I think honestly, because right now it's looking like John was right and we were wrong and that Endgame is not going to quite yeah. overtake Avatar. Yeah. And I think probably there, there's a part of them be like, hey, if everybody went and saw this one more time, we'd overtake Avatar. Like, right. I mean, and that's totally fine. Like Everybody should be a cheerleader for the film that you work on or for yeah. the TV show that you work on or for any artistic endeavor you do. You should be the cheerleader. We want people to be the cheerleaders for the Geek Buddies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, when, I, when we tell people to subscribe, to give us five stars, to give us good reviews, which you should all do. Um, <laughs> Foreshadowing. We're, we're, not, we're not trying to cut away from some other podcast. No. Um, so I think, you know, I, 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 I think that there should be healthy competition with movies. I don't get people getting so angry about this. Well, and that's the thing that I come back to is, and, and some people, are like, I'm like this, if you couldn't get people and I want to say this correctly, I'm going to get in some trouble for this, but oh, here, we this. here we go. Here we go. But look, lean in. <laughs> this is a female directed, female led film. If you're going to talk to me about how women need more opportunities and women then female fans need to step the fuck up and go see these movies. Black Panther 
Black people went to see a superhero well, film who had never seen an MCU film to support Black Panther from across the world. Why aren't why weren't women going well, at higher levels? Women were, but here's the problem. I actually uh, I, I wrote this down today because yeah, I yeah. found an issue. I was reading an article. So the one of the issues I think that Booksmart had, yeah. um, Aladdin, which earned 112.7 million over the weekend, right. uh, played to a majority female audience, 60 yeah. percent, with 51 percent of moviegoers under 25 years old. Right. So Booksmart's audience was 61 uh, percent female, right, and 74 percent fell between the ages of 18. Which means that Booksmart did attract the young female audience they were going for. The problem was it was also the exact same audience that was being attracted to the giant blockbuster. Right. But so again, it doesn't mean that those that there's not women that are going to support Booksmart. But when you have a weekend and you're busy and you've got barbecues and parties, you've uh-huh. got kids to take care of, you're doing whatever, like Aladdin is <laughs> the first thing you're going to hit. You might still go see Booksmart later, but it's probably not the top of your list. I think it's not. I think you can go see Aladdin anytime because that's the film, if you know as a moviegoer, is going to be around for weeks. Booksmart might not if you don't go patronize it first. Yeah, and, but... And, that's the, and it's a Disney machine versus something like this that is like, you know, independently distributed. Olivia Wilde's a first-time director who's a fe- actress and turning... Into, and this and this is very funny coming of a super bad type. It didn't do anywhere near the number super bad did. But in terms of counter, but in terms of counter programming, maybe releasing it against a live action musical yeah, yeah. probably wasn't the right move. Maybe you should have waited a week when Godzilla was coming out. Oh, I don't know. Godzilla's gonna. We'll see. I think Godzilla's gonna explode. Really? Yeah. Nobody expected John Wick to explode. I said John Wick was gonna make sixty million dollars. I got laughed out of the Collider offices, and it made fifty-seven million. But in terms of the audience that Godzilla attracts, people are hungry for popcorn movie because they're depressed about their lives depressed about what's going on them. they want to go and enjoy themselves and disappear and I think these big event movies have never been more needed by a society than they have but this don't year. you imagine the audience that Godzilla is going to attract is going to be oh not going to be the audience that sure, would see books more. sure 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 I have a feeling Godzilla might skew mail <laughs> <laughs> but that being said it's led by Millie Bobby Brown yep and Vera Farmiga and Sally Hawkins so this is a f- in a sense, you could argue a female-led monster film. I want to go back to something that you just touched on, though, where you were like, yep. what audiences should do. Like, they should support Booksmart because it's the smaller sure. film. They should do this. And here's, I think, the big thing in all of this that gets a little bit lost with everybody arguing with everybody else about what audiences should do. Audiences should go do what they want to do because the movies are there to have fun. Sure, So of I think that, like, you know, when, you, when you're a moviegoer... But you create you, a marketplace by your behavior. If, right. if you don't if you don't go see these movies, then their marketplace dries up and the studios go, we shouldn't make these movies anymore. They don't make money. It's business. Except that that we I, I think that we live in a different time now. And you know, like the, the movie industry has changed even from when we were younger. Oh yeah. And but what I mean is like, so when we were younger, we lived in the movie star age, right? Sure. So we lived in an age where if Tom Hanks or Julia Roberts or Will Smith, Tom Cruise or Tom Cruise was opening a movie. Yeah, that was the event. Yeah. We went to go see it. If, if Steven Spielberg movie was coming out, that was the event. It was yeah. it was director driven. It was movie star driven, and that was the thing. Now nobody said, "Well, well, what's happening to the movies with not a big name in it?" Like mm-hmm. there was there was enough of that stuff, but those those were the things that ruled the box office, right? We don't live in the movie star era now in the way that we did. No, we, we live in the franchise. We live era. in the franchise era yeah. now. And like so that is what it is. And I think that, you know, 
whether it is the Marvel Universe, the Star Wars Universe, the mm-hmm. DC Universe, the Harry Potter Universe, or uh, these Disney live-action remakes, the, call it the Disney live-action yeah. universe or whatever, yeah. um, those aren't going anywhere. That is clear. The audience has spoken. Yeah. For right now, that is what the audience wants. And those things are all high quality. I mean, yeah. like, no one more than me was thinking Aladdin was going to be a shit show. We right. talked about it um, on, on the podcast. And... They did a really good job. Look, Dumbo is a live action. Oof. Yeah, but that's so everyone's like, oh, everyone's just going to see these to throw their money over there because mm-hmm. it's a cash grab and it's just the nostalgia and they're just crapping these movies out. Well, that's clearly not true. Like yeah. Dumbo was not, I did not think, a very good, uh, a great movie. It it's was not. not. It was, I wasn't thrilled with it. I, I did agree. not have a great time. Aladdin, I thought, did a great job. I'm mm-hmm. super happy it did well. So I think that people have spoken. They want to see these big franchises. They want the good ones. Um, and I don't think that Booksmart's box office or Brightburn's box office speaks to the drying up of these smaller films. Really? I think that if a smaller film is really good and everyone's talking about mm-hmm. it, everyone's going to go see it. Booksmart is not, though. It's a 97% Rotten Tomatoes. It is going to sink like a stone from here forward. These films rarely have legs. Like Greatest Showman is the rarity. Right, Greatest Showman was basically a disappointment in its first weekend, and somehow, some way, that thing powered its way to four hundred million dollars worldwide. Right, incredible. It does not happen, and yet it did. But with Bright, with Booksmart, it is going to sink like a stone. What in I'm the saying next is, couple and weeks. look, and, and, and because I, people didn't go the first weekend. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that I wasn't saying that I think Booksmart is okay, going okay, to okay. go on to be a hit. Okay, I'm saying. If Booksmart, you know, one of the movies that Booksmart was compared to is it's like it's like this generation's can't hardly wait. Right, 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 right. Well, can't hardly wait was a box office failure. Yeah, it didn't it make did a lot of money. Well, mm-hmm. can't hardly wait became a cult classic yeah. that everybody watched over and over and over and over again. Maybe that's what's going to happen to Booksmart. I can't speak to it, and I can't speak to how I feel about it because I'm one of the people that wants to see it and hasn't yeah, gone yet. Me too. But what I'm saying is, just because these two movies on this specific box office weekend didn't do spectacular, uh, particularly Booksmart, because mm-hmm. Brightburn got mediocre Yeah, reviews, right. Nobody expected that But particularly that Booksmart, um, you know, it did great reviews, pretty good word of mouth, and it didn't do what they thought it was going to do. Yeah. I hope Booksmart carries on and does better, just based on what people are saying. But if it completely tanks and it goes away, I think studios, there, there are too many opportunities right now for the big studios and the smaller studios that yeah. are coming along to have these movies. You know, I, we just saw when Shannon and I saw, um, Brightburn, we saw that trailer for, um, 21 bridges, right? The, the Russo Chad, brothers, the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Movie. uh, the Chadwick Boseman movie that the Russo brothers did. Yeah. Uh, you know, STX is doing a lot of these movies with like big names, but like, like slightly smaller, uh, not big franchise movies. Um, it looks super interesting. I'm excited to see it. Yeah, but you might want to question the rollout, right? I think this is where I, I think uh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, talk 100% about this, Shannon. I agree with you because maybe releasing a movie like that over Memorial Day weekend, yeah. you don't have really any stars. Yeah. Maybe that was not the smartest move. Like you think back to Blockers. Like Blockers had a little bit of right. name value, like with Leslie Mann. Right. But they released that movie at the beginning of April. Well, and there's another one too. That a lot of people like you know, and we know Kay, who directed the film. Kay, Kay, like she wanted to get over twenty twenty five million, so the studios would say, okay, this is a hit. This is this can mm-hmm. be done. You know, but it didn't quite a hundred percent get there. But it's still a good, great calling card for Kay, and obviously she'll be directing. And for it's quite a great some movie. Time. It's a great movie, but it didn't find that hundred million dollar audience or two hundred million dollar audience that a film like that you you wish would. And with Booksmart, they rolled it out over twenty five hundred theaters, and that just I don't understand the logic of that. 
Like, did you misread the situation? Did you think you'd be this kind of counter-programming? Did you think you saw a possible, like, fish dead in the water in Aladdin and thought you'd strike? I wonder about the logic. Because most of these movies rolled out, roll out slowly. Yeah, then no one, I don't think anyone I do anticipated think, Aladdin. I, don't, yeah. I do think people thought Aladdin was going to be DOA. Yeah. I, I mean, I think people thought Aladdin was going to come out. And because of the word of mouth, because of what people were saying about it, yeah. that it was going to be a big bomb and people were going to do something different. And I do think that nostalgia does play a level to it. I mean, I talked to a lot of people who saw Aladdin this past weekend, and everybody sort of said the same thing. In addition to kind of saying, wow, that was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Right. Um, they were like, you know what? I sat in there and I was just like reliving my childhood. Yep. I felt great. And kind of to your point, Johnny, like given everything that's happening in the world right now, going into a theater for a couple hours and reliving your childhood and feeling great and humming along to a whole new world and friend like me, like, yeah, it's not bad. And in terms of what you're, what you're going to spend your money on, because not everyone in the country is like us. They're right. going to see every movie every weekend. Like you see a movie like Booksmart. It's like, do I need to see this on the big screen? Right. Maybe not. Well, and that's and that was another pitch uh, to for us to walk down. I, sorry, that was another avenue for us to walk down. When I pitched this, is this idea of these kinds of films coming out and then getting destroyed by the larger films in these summer uh, months? Does this give more credibility to the fact that we are slowly moving towards what I believe is going to happen in the next ten to twenty years, where movies just become like events, plays, and only those movies are shown in theaters and the smaller independent films move right into streaming services like Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or what have you. And we rarely see these bigger or these in these independent or more mature themed movies like gone girl in the theaters anymore. And all we get are the big spectacles. And I wonder if that's, that's, I kind of feel like that's where we're going because TV TVs are cheaper. Now sound systems are cheaper. Now, uh, you can watch stuff 4K in your house with your family. You don't have to deal with people on their phone or talking or opening candy at the emotional moments. You can watch these right at your house. And those are the films that you don't need to see on opening night or an opening weekend. The event films are because that's the cooler talk. So I wonder about it. I mean, I think that the one thing that you can count on in where things are going to go mm. in entertainment is that it's going to go in a direction none of us think it's going to go because I think that I think that we always really, no one saw streaming services coming that's for no, sure exactly so I mean we we always sort of extrapolate from where we are and we're like well if this is where we're going this thing is going to keep moving in this direction and that's never what happens like look I right as given the stuff that I love and I enjoy I truly could not be happier that we live in an era of giant franchises yeah. that are feeding into like new chapters in these stories and a bunch of live action remakes of Disney movies and new Disney animated features coming out that they can do live action remakes. Like this is literally hitting all my buttons. Mm-hmm. I get that it's hitting all my buttons. It's take my money. I'm happy to give it to you. But even I know that this won't last forever, whether mm. it's five right. years from now, 10 years from now, um, another Kevin Smith is going to come along and make a chasing Amy. Another studio like a Miramax is going to come on without, without Mm -hmm. a Weinstein attached to it and start doing lots of uh, weird independent things. And people are going to get really excited about that. And everyone's going to go, Oh, we're tired of all these superheroes and tights and all these special effects. This is really where it's at. And the entire industry will shift again. (laughs) I want to see something real, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, certainly Blumhouse has done that over the last five, eight years of they basically revitalized the horror genre and with new and interesting ways with filmmakers that are, um, 
groundbreaking and knew, nobody knew about them and having them do their things and then like something like The Nun comes out and it makes $50 million over the year. Like, who the fuck went to see The Nun for I mean, $50 million? And you for th- the most part, they're doing those movies on the cheap. Yeah, very much well, on the and cheap. And the thing is, with, uh, with special effects and visual effects and everything becoming cheaper and cheaper by the day, you know, we could literally, 15 years from now, live in an inverse entertainment world where the big things that everybody is going to see are these really serious adult dramas with big stars telling these really big stories and the cheap movies, the ones that they're making and just like sort of like getting out for like low budget, whatever have special effects better than Avengers Endgame, yeah. <laughs> and people are going to see those and then it'll flip again. So, you know I mean? I, I think that when I read a lot of these articles and I'm yeah. looking at Twitter and everyone's like the gloom and doom and look at what these giant corporations are doing and they're going to destroy entertainment as we know it. And yeah. everything is going to be horrible. And the man and the mouse has taken over. <laughs> um, and I'm like, look, Everybody calm down. Like, we got some really good stuff. And the other thing that I would say is, as these giant franchises has, have maybe taken a lot of the talent that yeah. would have liked to have made those movies sure. uh, and can't make those movies, that talent is going to streaming and television. And we have some of the most interesting storytelling happening. I just, I have one episode left in season two of Fleabag. Yeah. And holy shit, that's the greatest thing in the world. And nobody knows who Phoebe Waller-Bridge is outside of maybe if you went to see Solo and you know she's the voice of the computer. Right. But most people don't know. And here she is running. She's the showrunner for Killing Eve for the first season. Still executive producer second season. But yes, Fleabag is fantastic. Star, writer, uh, producer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, that's the thing is like we're we're not living in a time where we don't have amazing and interesting right. adult stuff. You know, Big Little Lies season two about to, pre- to, to right. premiere on HBO. Like, with Meryl Streep, for With God Meryl Streep. Like, there's so much great content out there that if anything, these big franchises kind of filling up the box office are kind of spreading the wealth around. Well, and, but that's... Oh, sorry, sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, like, without, without streaming, I mean, the, the streaming services give the creators a level of control yeah. that they don't have when there's a $150, $200 million budget on the line. Right, right. Like, the, the Hulus, the Netflixes, they give these people not just, the, uh, not just the freedom budgetarily, but also creatively. Yeah. Like, they let them kind of like, all right, go and make your story. And yeah, I mean, I think th- I think that's a good thing. Yeah, people still want to see independent small films though in theaters, and I wonder if that audience is dying because it's going to the streaming services. I wonder if that's the way it's going because I, I've always I'm you know I'm older than both of you. To me, it's like it's true. You are very oh, thank old. You, thank you. To <laughs> me, but like I've seen the trends change, and I've I, I this is such a weird new place. Just picture you. Be. I just pictured you sitting on your winery. Sipping some Merlot. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen the movies change, boys. Back when I was young, it's Cinema Paradiso. Oh, the end. Right. <laughs> When's the last time you saw a foreign film come into the movie theaters and become like a success? It's been a while, but an Amelie thing, Il Postino, those happened all the time. Once upon a time, and now they rarely do. And that's that's the shame of it. it. I feel like we're changing as a film-going society, a film-going public, and we understand if I want to see the darker shit, I'm going to stay home and watch it on the streaming services. If I want to see fun, awesome explosions in the summer, I'm going to see that in the theater. Don't bother putting but other stuff say, out. I would also say, I mean, I would, I would hold up something like, um, like Ryan Coogler, Black Panther. Sure. Which definitely is a big action superhero movie with lots of explosions yeah. and costumes and everything. 
but actually gets into some really interesting and deeper issues about race in America and where yes. we are. And so I do think the other thing that is happening that people kind of don't really dive into is that some of those, like not everything is a Michael Bay Transformers movie. Um, Ooh. Sadly for... Shots fired. Sadly for Paramount. Or, you know, or yeah, because they make a lot of money off those. They Well, less and less and less every one. <laughs> no, just the last one. Um, but... But what I was saying is like, you know, as as this big franchise genre world that we live in continues to mature as well, directors and writers and talent are going to come on and we're going to start seeing superhero movies, magic movies, sci-fi movies that are really delving into bigger issues as well. I would argue that we already have that with the MCU, with what they were able to do with some of those themes, not just in Black Panther, but also Doctor Strange, this exploration of the approach to a world in an existential way to approach it through meditation and peace and calm and all the kind and of mushrooms like, and well shrooms as well. But like <laughs> all of that and the outer body, you know, all this like look, the Infinity Stones thing is a very complex plot. The fact that people were willing to go with this plot all through these movies and come to a culmination speaks volumes to the well, intelligence of the audience. And that's what I'm saying is that I don't think three hour superhero film for God's sake. But that's what I'm saying is I don't think that we're in a world of that we're comparing Transformers, Independence Day, yeah. Mummy Returns, uh, to to intellectually stimulating indie films. Right. You can have a crappy independent film, and you can have a really cool, stimulating giant franchise film with lots of special yeah, effects absolutely. and explosions. And so I think that you know whether you know you look at what Star Wars has done over the course of thirty years. You look at how important Harry Potter and the themes in that are mm-hmm. to people. You look at some of the things we're talking about about the MCU. Yeah. And I think that these big franchises are actually doing a lot of really great stuff. And I don't think that they're just fluff. I don't think people are just going to the movies to escape. Even Aladdin, as much as everyone's like, oh, it's a cash grab, it's just a Disney live action remake, it's also a movie with an almost entire cast of color that we talked about. And that's really important. Um, And That representation is important. Exactly. And change the story to make it distinct to a degree from the animated film. Another big thing that I would say for Aladdin, to your point, is that you know, whereas Beauty and the Beast made some changes to the original that I think were sort of either fine or kind of not that interesting or not yeah. that great, um, the changes that they made to Aladdin, particularly Jasmine's story, as you yeah. said, made it much more interesting, like a much more modern version of someone who was thought to be modern when that movie came out. But uh, so I think that there's these these giant franchise movies, these giant things, like mm-hmm. they are actually telling good things and trying to do good things. I mean, MCU is all about representation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think that's really good. Again, that doesn't take away from the fact that we should have these smaller voices. We should have yeah. newer talent. Of we course, should have we should. Films. But I think that... But is there a public for it? I think That's that, the question. I think that there is. I think that there's always going to be a word of mouth. I think if something hits and people talk about it, people will go. Right. right. See, there I disagree with you because okay. I think there are a lot of great movies that get released that do just kind of get buried for whatever reason. There was a movie that came out last year mm-hmm. called uh, What They Had, which, I mean, I've talked about this movie with you okay. guys plenty, yeah. where it, Robert Forster, Michael Shannon, uh, Hilary Swank, right. wonderful, wonderful family movie, Kind kind of sad, mm-hmm. but that movie got buried, and it. I mean, it now is out. If anyone has Amazon Prime, look up what they had. Okay. Such a good film. I mean, I I do think that is the exception, though. I mean, I think right. mo- usually if a movie is good, people are going to go see it, yeah. and maybe that's why people weren't maybe not turning out in droves to see Booksmart again. Yeah, Booksmart opened with six point nine. Uh, Brightburn was seven point eight. I mean, Brightburn made more than Booksmart. That's Telling, but Pikachu is at 116 million, right? Avengers Endgame is almost at 800 million. 
But look, A Dog's Journey made $14.97 It's been out for two weeks. Um, the Hustle with Han Hathaway and Rebel right. Wilson, that's almost at 30, being only out three weeks. So the, the, the none of, it does not, looking at all this list here, it's like box office mojo. It looked Ugly Dolls, only $18 million for, out for four weeks. So you're seeing a lot of these, but Dumbo, 112. You're seeing these other films that are of smaller note, not making that money that these bigger films are consistently over the last few weeks, and you're just like surprised by this uh, overall. And I just don't know if the public's taste is there anymore at the level that it used to be. And so you're seeing these smaller films come out, and they have to do this slow rollout so they can attract any kind of attention, but you're still taking a chance that anyone is going to come see your film to the point where you can make money off it. And I wonder at some point, I know we have A24, I know we have Blumhouse and STX and other things that are building to replace what used to be Weinstein and other companies, um, but I wonder how many of these keep going if it's a constant box office loss, you know? And I, I that's what I wonder about. Well, I think two things about that. I think one... A lot of this gets into budget. Like, I mean, you know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the the budget of an Avengers plus all the marketing and all, all the money the studio puts behind it has yeah. to make significantly more. Right. And a lot of these smaller studios make their money because they're mo- they're they're not spending that much on the right. So the great point. The the return on investment is different. Mm-hmm. A lot of these studios also are banking not just on American box office. Now, I'm not saying this is the case with Booksmart, but yeah. like the China market is huge, like yep. the international market is huge. So you can have movies that don't really hit here, but throughout all the international markets, they're more than going to make their money back. And I think yeah. that's part of the game as well. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be super pro the big studios and anti-independent. I just think that kind of looking at the performance of Booksmart over this past weekend and going... The sky is falling. The audience has no taste mm-hmm. for independent films. Might be overstepping a bit. And we've seen well-reviewed movies not do well in the theaters. We've seen that happen every year. There are multiple examples yeah. of it, right? Multiple examples for whatever reason. Not a star. Uh, something about the film doesn't appeal to a mass public. Look, look we lived through the Scott Pilgrim thing. We came out of that screening. This is going to make millions of yeah. dollars. It's going to be a success. And it didn't do anything. And yeah, it became and a cult I, classic. And I still love Scott Pilgrim. Yep. Sp- Scott Pilgrim is still a, a, a movie that mm-hmm. a bunch of people love. Yep. yep. Yeah, The Shawshank yep. Redemption. And granted, that was a long time. Right, no, right. The Shawshank Redemption didn't make any money. Yeah, great point. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I we'll see. We'll see how this goes out over the next five to ten years. I just thought it was a good conversation to have because it, it was the focus of a lot of articles this week about yep. uh, about exploring what the public, what the bu- public really wants and what the box office is showing us. Uh, and if you want to read a couple of Variety did a fantastic breakdown of it with numbers and Scott Mendelson over at Forbes, maybe my favorite uh, person to analyze box office and no, and Perry, of course, Perry as well. But like Scott is so fantastic at really breaking down the numbers and gets so nerdy deep into the numbers that I really enjoy his analysis. And I wonder uh, if a conversation with him might be in order for on the geek buddies down the road. It'd be fun to hear his points of views on this kind of stuff. So, all right, uh, uh, we are come to the end of the show. We should do a little wrap up here. 
Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of The Geek Buddies. Let us know what you thought about everything we talked about on here. Do you think independent film is dead, or do you think it's just a bunch of hullabaloo and it was just a bad rollout? Let us know about all that. What do you think about Star Wars Land? What do you think about uh, DragCon? And what you think uh, about... Let's go E.B. Oddly. Bring it home. <laughs> <laughs> the Picard trailer as well. Uh, Tomorrow anyway, night, yeah. I'm going to be sipping wine, rooting for E.B. Oddly, yeah. and thinking about going to see Booksmart the next day because <laughs> I want to give it some money. There you go. If you're not recovering from burns from the saddle that you lit ablaze oh, well, and through if, yeah. if Silky Nutmeg Ganache wins I will not be going to see Booksmart because I'll be in jail and it'll be Silky's fault so go after her I like that I like that is there anything you're currently reading watching or focusing on GeekWise that you would like to suggest to the fans uh, as I said before everybody go to uh, Prime Video and watch Fleabag okay. uh, season one Good and suggestion. season two are both six episodes they're all half hours you can literally watch a season in a couple hours and it's Perfect. completely worth it uh, also in the world of comedy uh, oh. If you are not reading Brian Michael Bendis's uh, Naomi uh, under DC, totally check it out. Brand new superhero character in the DC universe, and she's awesome. The whole story is awesome. It is Brian Michael Bendis at his best. Boom. We had him in Collider Heroes for an interview. Great guy. Great guy. Yeah, and what? I was actually going to say, uh, you know, this is a movie that I already own. This came out six or seven years ago, but uh-huh. it, is on, it is on Amazon Prime right now, and it is called Robot and Frank. This movie stars Frank Langella, oh, yeah. James Marsden, Liv Tyler, it is. Did that took, we saw it in the theater together. I made you go see that. It is that. a great movie. This is a movie. This is one of those movies that just kind of got lost in the shuffle, but it's really, really good. It's about okay. an, an aging, an aging fella who his son uh, buys him basically a robot, and in the future, robots are basically appliances, like a like a, wow. a caregiver. But it's like it's a home care robot. Yep. It was like Baymax before Baymax. Yeah. And it is a wonderful, wonderful little film. Wow. Okay. On well, Amazon Prime enough. right now. What about you, Johnny? I don't have anything. Nothing. I don't have anything. I'm. Trying to catch up with everything as I do all these shows. So it's like I have to watch what I have to watch for the shows. You did tell us uh, that we should definitely go see Ma next weekend. You should go see Ma. How about that? I'll throw that out there. Talking about a smaller independent film from Blumhouse. Go see Ma. Uh, We did the review today. Perry and I dropped the review today on Collider. Surprisingly damn good funny horror film. Octavia Spencer is incredible in this movie. Like... When's the last time you saw an actress like that get a chance to play a part like this and lead a film? And she was incredible, and she's funny and magnetic. And then when the turn happens, you're like, "Oh shit!" Like it's crazy. Yeah, I'm very excited to go see that. <laughs> yeah, and it's so funny. It's gross point blank meets a horror film, basically that. And you're just like, "Holy shit!" This weekend is packed. I got I got Rocket Man. Oh, Rocket Man! I can't. Rocket Man was fantastic. Rocket Man, Godzilla, and Ma is all this weekend. Right? Yeah, I, I skipped a Godzilla screening tonight to record with you guys because I want to see this with you guys, uh, Godzilla. If you guys are going to set something up, I want to go. Hey, Geek Buddies Day. Geek Buddies Day. Hey. Done and done. Hey. Um, but yes, Rocket Man. I can't wait to see that again. Uh, I saw it at the Grove at a screening the other night. It's incredible. I want to see it in the Dome. It's that I want to see the wow. visuals of that movie in the dome. Coming right. after Bohemian Rhapsody, do you think this is an awards movie? I think it's way better than Bohemian Rhapsody. Way better. Uh, and I think Taron Egerton does because he sings his own music. I think Taron Egerton has a leg up on what Rami did with uh, uh, Freddie Mercury. And I'll still argue that Bradley Cooper should have won Best Actor. I'll argue that to the day I die. I, I, I love Bohemian. Bohemian was fun as hell. He does a great job. 
Bradley brings weight to that character in, in A Star is Born. Should have won. Um, other than that, I'm watching Doc Martin, uh, BBC stuff, and I'm mad addicted to that. My girlfriend and I watch that every night now until I finish all the seasons. Um, all right, that's all the geek stuff. All right, Mike, do you want to tell them anything to wrap up the show here? Yeah, uh, just, hey, go to iTunes, give us some stars, give us some reviews, retweet us, tell your friends to watch us. Uh, definitely want to get more geek buddies in here so we can keep the geek love going. Yeah, yeah and if you would like to follow Follow us on social media. On Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. And on Instagram, it's at the underscore geek underscore buddies. Yeah, and you can follow Mike at Mike T- M- MK Tune on Twitter and Instagram. Yep, and you can follow Roca at the Roca Says <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> and you can follow Shannon McClung. At Shannon underscore McClung on Twitter and on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. There you go. And uh, I want to thank Mark Sloan very much as well, who's been handling our website. If you want to go to, I think it's www.thegeekbuddies.com. We're on there. You can go. If you don't want to go and download any podcast, you can just listen to it off the website there. Big shout out to Anchor as well. And also what Michael mentioned here, this idea of um, giving us ratings, giving us comments. The reason we ask for that is because it pushes us up the list of noticeable podcasts for people to discover for the first time. So the more you comment, the more you leave the ratings. It helps us get seen by more people and then grow the Geek Buddies uh, family uh, to be larger and larger as we go along. So And remember, guys, Rosestance is futile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if we get away with that, that'd be great. That's a great Geek Buddy shirt as well. Uh, all right, and if anybody wanted to design those Geek Buddy shirts, design them, send them to us or DM us. It would be fun to take a look at them. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening this week to the Geek Buddies. And as Geek Buddies, we say, What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.